For those of you who are following along in the Bible, I'm going to pick up at the 21st verse. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, which is the requirement for those who are poor. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of life. In the Advent Christmas season, we rehearse these beautiful and wondrous stories about the birth of Jesus. So much of our love of Christmas is hearing the stories again and again through the carols and the hymns, poetry and gospel readings and special programs this time of year. But the birth narratives have one practical function for the gospel writers. They want to identify just who this Jesus is right up front in the story because his identity, who he really is, will determine his future as the story unfolds. His true identity will also show us who he is not. As Luke tries to establish the identity of Jesus, he is showing us some very important aspects that make up anyone's identity. Your identity, my identity, the identities of people we love, and what makes up the identity of people we may not like so much. 
with the current presidential campaign, we have questions about these candidates. Who are they really? We are concerned because we believe that who they really are, deep inside their fundamental character, their fundamental values, their view of life, their theology and understanding of what is God's will, will all influence and determine how each one might respond or react and handle the serious issues of national life and world peace. That basic identity question was such a big issue with President Obama concerning his birth certificate and whether he was really a Christian or a Muslim in disguise. So once true identity matters when we are deciding who we want for our leader, the whole issue of identity for us ordinary everyday folks is often much more important than we realize because we assume we know who we really are better than anyone else. But in fact, sometimes others can see and recognize things about us and who we really are, things which we're unaware of. Sometimes, for example, we're driven and motivated by false images we have of ourselves. We're either trying to be something we are not because we are trying to fulfill someone else's unrealistic expectations for us, or we may be denying who we really are because we're embarrassed or ashamed of our past or of our family. We are afraid that if people really knew, then they would reject us. The obvious example is someone from humble origins who strives so hard to overcome poverty and to climb their way up the ladder into a higher economic or social class. There are lots of these stories and movies on this theme. It's called rags to riches. The question of our identity is not something reserved only for adolescents trying to find themselves and what they want to do with their lives, but little kids are learning who they are from the moment of birth. Sociological and psychological studies have demonstrated how most cultures treat little boys and little girls very differently, which begins to shape their self-identity from the very beginning. If you live in a multiracial culture, the color of your skin causes different reactions and responses to you very early on and affect the way you feel about yourself. <clears throat> Newlyweds are very dramatically discovering who they are as a part of a couple. And maybe not too many years later, down the road, who they are as parents. They also find out who they are not as they work out the marriage and family relationships. We have heard of the midlife crisis, <clears throat> which is nothing more than an identity crisis. My life is half over, and I am nowhere close to fulfilling my dreams. I'm not what I hoped I would be. Who am I? Who do I really want to be? And is it too late? Is the midlife crisis questions. And retirement office creates an identity crisis. A retired United Methodist minister who was attending the St. Stephen's United Methodist Church when I was serving there often told me how hard it was for him to get used to being retired for his identity changed dramatically. He was no longer Preacher Ray when he walked downtown to go shopping. He was just another old man 
which meant to him, I'm just an old nobody. Well, we tried to help restore his true identity by asking Preacher Ray to form an older adult Sunday school class and to be its teacher. Well, he did, and it was a big success for several years. And I asked him if he would do us the honor of baptizing my middle son, Petty, when he was a baby. Well, a part of losing a job is that you lose a part of your identity that that position once gave you, a title, an office with your name on it, and a big part of grief of divorce or the death of a spouse is the loss of your identity as half of that special, unique couple. And the thing we call peer pressure, what is it if it is not pressure to act a certain way or to do certain things so that you will belong to the group and be identified with us all of which leads to the most important aspect of identity your identity is fundamentally relational your personhood is relational we who <clears throat> we are who we under ourselves to be is relational beginning first with our physical characteristics our relatives our parents and our grandparents and great-grandparents uh, biologically gave us the genes that made us come out the way we look. Our language, our vocabulary, our values, our tastes, the character qualities are generally determined by the relationships we have with those who have raised us, or sadly in some cases those who may have neglected or abused us and left scars. A tremendous degree of our identity is determined by who we belong to, and what I mean by that is the people with whom we have these close relationships. We belong to a particular family with some kind of heritage from a country or a culture of origin. We belong to various clubs and social groups. We belong to a church, a community of faith. We belong to a profession, a career group, a company. Well, all of these relationships are part of our identity and they have a great deal to determine our behavior what we do, when we do it, where we do what we do. For example, if I'm a teacher, then what I do is teach, maybe in a school or I have private students. But it's hard to say I'm a teacher or feel like a teacher if I'm not teaching, if I don't have any students. Like Preacher Ray, he didn't feel like a preacher without a congregation to lead. In short, we cannot have an identity in a vacuum. Our identity is determined by relationships, which in turn kind of shape how we live and the course of our life. There's a big debate right now about Syrian refugees, and it's fundamentally a debate about American identity. Who is welcome to become a part of us, one of us? Who's worthy? Who's eligible? Who is not? is an identity it's an identity crisis in another way it's a question about our collective identity as americans are we an accepting welcoming people full of compassion and care for the orphan the widow and the stranger in the land as the old testament expresses it to do we care for the persecuted the outcast and the stranger and needing a friend or are we Americans 
fearful, protectionist, exclusive, isolationist-minded people. How does our faith as Christian people, as Methodist Christians, inform this national identity? These are questions for another day, but it has relevance to the whole identity question raised by our scripture today. Who we really are will determine how we respond to the challenges that confront us. Those challenges test us to see what we're made of, what kind of person, what kind of a people we really are. As we look at the scripture lesson and the whole Christmas story, we see how it illustrates how one's identity shapes and guides one's life. Joseph and Mary belonged to the family of David, so they had to go to Bethlehem for the census to register. And of course, census reports want all kinds of data about who you are, your identity. Because they were faithful, obedient Jews, Joseph and Mary followed all the legal and ritual requirements of their faith. They had this baby Jesus circumcised on the eighth day, which is a significant issue of identity within the covenant community of Judaism. He's given a name, Jesus. And we know how significant your name is for identifying who you are. But also the name has very significant power in guiding and influencing what you will grow up to be. Now we all know the silly song by Johnny Cash, a boy named Sue, would determine what kind of a life one might have to illustrate that point. Within faith traditions, these rituals of circumcision, infant baptism, infant dedications are rituals of incorporating and including the child into the community. Besides the naming of the christening, giving one that identity of who you are, we say you are one of us. There's no concept of leaving the child nameless until he or she grows up and decides for himself or herself what they want to be called and where they want to belong. Belonging and inclusion under the love, guidance, and protection of the group is a gift, a blessing given. The circumcision does not make Jesus a Jewish boy. He is circumcised because he is already a Jewish boy, and he will grow up to understand what that means. When we baptize infants in the United Methodist Church, we are not making them Christians. We baptize because they're already Christian babies who we trust will grow up discovering who they already are. And of course, one has the freedom to reject and walk away when one grows up and decides for himself or herself. That right is not taken away or denied when one is given the gift of belonging as an infant. Simeon and Anna tell us that the baby Jesus is more than just a Jewish baby boy, but he has a special calling and a future for the people. This whole scene in the temple demonstrates the importance of belonging to a community of faith and the importance that worship and ritual play in shaping our identity and helping us to discover what our purpose in life might be. Anna and Simeon illustrate how individuals with a deep spiritual maturity have the gift of discernment and can sense that others have special gifts and possibilities which might give them 
some special calling in life. The elders in the community of faith play a vital role in helping the young understand who they are and what they shall become. The words of affirmation and encouragement, the words of appreciation and gratitude for the good that the young people bring to the community. Those words that help the young feel included and belonging are so important in their process of discovering their identity, who they are, and what they shall become. One of the most important aspects of one's identity is feeling like you are someone important, significant, meaningful to someone. Feeling that your life matters and that your life makes a difference, a positive difference for the good. So it is important to have that feeling when you discover who you are. In the community of faith, through our worship and rituals, we are reminded that we are already somebody because we are somebody special in the eyes of God. I believe it's one of the recovery programs that came up with a slogan with the posters and sweatshirts that said, God don't make junk, meaning no person is junk. Everyone is beloved in God's eyes, no matter how badly you might have messed up. Hopefully we will discover that we are somebody special because we feel that love coming through the hugs, the affirmations, the encouragements we have received within the community of faith. We feel it coming to us, and we can feel it flow from us as we show appreciation and gratitude in our genuine affirmation of others' gifts that have been a blessing to us. I heard an interesting story on TED Talk this last week on the radio, and I went to the Internet, thought I'd be very modern, look it up on the Internet and find it and be able to hear again the story and get the details so I could share them with you correctly, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> but the story went something like this. It was a man who got in trouble when he was in the eighth grade for drawing pictures in class. His teacher told him to get up out of his desk and go stand out in the hall. Well, the boy was so afraid that he was in big trouble. Oh, my gosh. All the other kids who had been sent out in the hall very quickly got sent down to the vice principal's office and got a paddling, or they got expelled. Well, when the teacher did come out and talk to him, he said, That drawing is really good. You've got talent. You should uh, work on the school paper and make editorial cartoons. And then he got serious and said, but I don't want you drawing in my class. Well, the boy got on the school paper, and the journalism teacher was very affirming of his work and encouraged him to continue. But it didn't happen overnight, but eventually he became very successful in creating and illustrating children's books. Something like 60, and through developing those gifts and abilities, helped him discover his identity as a writer and an illustrator of children's books. Well, what a blessing it would be to find out someday that you were the one that shined a light for someone else. Anna and Simeon are remembered today because they shine such a light that was a part of Jesus discovering his identity, his calling, and his purpose in life. 
Amen and Amen.